Hello, church family. Thank you for joining us for another message from Res Life Holland. We hope this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus and empowers you to live the life God has for you. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. We have a special guest with us today. Steve Hage and his wife, Daniil, came to town for a wedding, and so we snagged them. Uh, they just hitched somebody last night. They're in town. Um, I've known Steve for 20-some years um, and when I was a missionary in Mexico, their church supported us. I went there and, and got to, to be at their church in, uh, during that time. Just been a blessing. I want you to come bless the congregation with what God wants to speak through you and the gifts he's put on you. Good morning, everyone. Um, thanks for coming to church. Um, I almost didn't come because I don't like driving sideways. Uh, me and Daniil have been uh, married for 41 years. Um, we have three kids, five grandkids, and uh, it's been a journey. How many of you know that uh, lots of people have been married 41 years, but like four different people, you know? <laughs> But uh, we kind of have worked it out ourselves, and um, so thank you, Daniil, for being with us today. We, uh, I want to say a couple things up front. We live in Laguna Beach, California. Our church is there, and uh, so this weather is like nothing we uh, enjoy. Praise the Lord. I can't believe anyone even lives in this, but um, I would come to church just to get out of that. Um, and so we are California people. I've been there our whole lives, except for a little momentary madness. We moved to Seattle for a minute, uh, and that's where we met uh, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie. I was preaching a conference for Casey Treat, and they were in the audience, and then Dwayne called in our office after. I never did meet him. He said, uh, okay, now before I invite you to my church, are you that little guy who's funny? And I said, uh, well, I guess I'm little and funny. I don't know. He goes, okay, well, then you can come. And I've been preaching, I've been preaching for uh, Res Life for 22 or 23 years in a row. Um, so that's how uh, we met Josh and uh, have been a part of that uh, family for years and years and years. Um, but yes, we are from California, so you're going to have to understand that California saved is a little bit different than Michigan saved. You're going to have to factor forgiveness in right now because I'm going to say something. You're going to be like, that does not sound like you're just it's California saved. God is just happy to have some people in California that love Jesus. So he lets us get away with stuff. He don't let you get away with. Amen. So uh, and the problem this morning is that uh, next service I'll be using an interpreter, uh, which will be Josh. So if I say something he doesn't want you to hear, he'll just say it in Spanish, different than what I said. So he'll preach whatever message he wants. I'll actually think he's preaching what I'm saying. But if I say something he doesn't want to say, he'll just say what he wants to say. But this is unfiltered. So uh, here we go. Um, a, real quick, a little bit about ourselves because we, uh, I've never been here, but um, I grew up in uh, a poor family. Uh, we were food stamp government cheese people. Government, have, has anyone ever tried to eat government cheese? Raise your hand. Have you found out it doesn't melt? Amen. Do you know there's no? You know what government cheese is good for? If someone's breaking in, you just hit them over the head with it. And uh, so we were just a, a, a poor family. Uh, we didn't have much in our life, and I was a juvenile delinquent. In fact, and don't get mad at me. Uh, one lady told me one time in New York. She says, uh, "Steve, I don't like your testimony." I'm like, "I don't like it either." <laughs> I mean, what am I supposed to do? Have a testimony? Like this is this, and we were the only white family in an all black neighborhood in Los Angeles. So when we moved into the neighborhood, they were like, there goes the neighborhood. White people are here right now. So by the time I was 13 years old, I was a full blown juvenile delinquent gang member. 
13 years old. I had an afro and an attitude. I'll show you a picture of my afro. I have it on my phone. My daughter found one of my afro pictures. Um, and uh, I was a, a terror in the neighborhood. And this was in 1970. And uh, I've been in the ministry for 48 years um, and, not, and have never left and never had a scandal either. Uh, my friends always say, you're the only guy we can pull up on the Internet and there isn't some story. So praise God for that. But um, so I had this horrible reputation in the neighborhood and I had messed around with and beat up this guy in the neighborhood. And that day at school... This guy had beat up about a week earlier, um, got born again. And in those days, they said, look, if you want your salvation to stick, you need to go find somebody who's the worst person you know and tell them about Jesus. So naturally, he goes, finds me because I'm the worst person in the neighborhood. And he jumps up on this fence. I'm shooting baskets behind the big five sporting goods in uh, Los Angeles, California. And this guy jumps up on the fence. He says, Steve Hage. If you don't change your ways, you're going to burn in hell. Now, he didn't give me like a, a pepperoni pizza. He didn't, he didn't invite me to a, you know, a sleepover. There wasn't like a video concert. He didn't try to hook me with some kind of video game thing. He just said, dude, you're going to hell if you don't change. And something hit me in my heart. I was 13 years old. And I walked up to him. And said, what do I got to do? He'd been saved for two hours. He didn't even know what he was doing. He said, well, I guess you pray this prayer. Uh, it's the prayer I prayed at school today. So I received the Lord on a basketball court in Los Angeles, California at 13 years old. Uh, got filled with the Holy Spirit. Got baptized in a bathtub because there was no water anywhere where I lived. We filled up the bathtub. My mom's going, what are you guys doing up there? And I baptized him, and he baptized me. We're 13 years old, 13, 14. And, and uh, yeah. And when I was 17 years old, the pastor of the church that I was going to, and I got thrown out of two or three churches before I actually landed at one. Uh, and um, the pastor at the church there, when I was 17 years old, I had just graduated high school. He said, listen, I'm going to hire you. You're not ready, but I got to get you before somebody else does. And he hired me at 17 years old to go into the ministry. And I have never left 17 years old. And I'm 60, I'm going to be 65 this year. Um, I'll be on Medicare next year in a few months. Whatever. Everything's falling down. It's like. My wife told me the other day, turn off the light. Women are visual too. So I was just like, okay, okay. <laughs> but uh, so I was this nobody from nowhere that had no pedigree. Now listen to me. God surveyed the landscape of America and he landed on this renegade kid who had no no one ever prayed for me. We never went to church. We were, my dad was out of control. My mom died when I was five years old. My dad was womanizing and I had abandonment issues and all this stuff was going on in my life. And I decided to start working with young people. And we managed to, by the grace of God, grow the largest youth ministry in all of America. We were voted, I was voted the number one communicator to teenagers in America during my time working with young people. I got invited, this ghetto kid, I got invited to speak on the United States Capitol to 300,000 parents and teenagers because I wrote a book called Impact, Principles to Influence the Emerging Generation. 60,000 people got born again. I'm from the ghetto. How the heck did that happen? Then we did a crusade in India. It was the largest crusade of young people in history. 125,000 teenagers came to this crusade in Bombay, India. I don't know if some of you remember who MC Hammer was. He did my music. He was like, oh, you can't touch this, you know. And then I'm like, you see, anyway. So 
MTV, actually MTV. Do you guys still have MTV here? You don't even know what that is? Good. You probably have a J-O-B and you don't watch MTV. Okay, but anyway. MTV filmed this thing. There was 300 million people watched this. And I, God found me on a basketball court with an afro and an attitude. And I always say that God used me that way. So you don't have an excuse. Because I can match story with story, and my pursuit of God allowed God to elevate my life in such a way that it doesn't matter how obscure you are. It doesn't matter how what you've done or what you haven't done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It just matters where you're going. Let me tell you something. It doesn't even, God doesn't even care that much about how you got here. He just cares that you are here. The Bible says you are from God, little children. And the Bible wants you to, God wants you to know that you are from God. You came through your parents, but you came from God. The pedigree that you were born into does not have to define you. The way you were raised is not stronger than the way you were raised up in Christ. Amen, somebody? What God wants to do in your life is not limited to where where you came from, who you came through. It's all determined on who you came from. And you came from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Uh, listen, you. I know your 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 parents probably didn't raise you right, especially this side. Y'all are haven't been raised. I can just tell by looking. But 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 it doesn't matter how you were raised. God, you're not limited to your experience. Your faith can break through the membranes of limitations that you seem to be butting against all of your life. Let me tell you something. Today is going to be a day when the trajectory of your destiny can change if you'll just believe it. This could be the first day of the rest of your life. You just finished a season of prayer, right, and fasting. Uh, and this, all the good stuff happens after fasting. How many of you know nothing good happens when you're fasting except bad breath? and bad moods come on and so so here God wants you to know that today look I'm not here by accident uh, God wants to do something significant in your life and in your disp- in your situation and your disposition and he wants to put his hand on you in a special way and do something magnificent set you on a course that you never dreamed possible somebody say amen amen, amen. and that dream that's in your heart man that dream to evangelize, to, to gather, to be an influence to your generation. Am I right about this? The Bible, the Bible says that, do, that we're to do the work of an evangelist, but I'm telling you, God has called you to be an evangelist. There's going to be a preach in your life. There's going to be passion that hits you. The favor of God is coming. The influence of God, all of a sudden, the, the Bible is going to come alive to you. You're going to get hungry for the things of God. God is opening doors that no man can close get ready to be criticized but you don't care God wants to use you I see you being an influence in your own generation in Jesus name amen lift your hands let me pray for you real quick Father, I pray for this young man. Let the power of the word of God work in his life. Lord, catapult him into destiny and, and, and let the will of God be accomplished in his life. Look at me. What's your name? Omar, listen, God didn't put that desire in you to not give it to you. He put that desire in you to give you a glimpse of what your future is going to look like. Everything you dream about when you're laying in your bed, looking at the stucco on the ceiling, saying, God, use me, use me, use me. You're not perfect, but you're perfect for God. And God wants to do things in your life that is going to supersede anything that your pedigree has ever done in Jesus' name. You're going to be a big dog one day in the kingdom of God. You go for it, baby. Baby. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What if God just gave this church a youth revival? What if God just got all the messed up kids and like lifted up the edge of the city and all the crazy people that nobody wants roll into this church and you turn them into the kids everybody wants? Amen, somebody? What if, what if something happened? What if the, this environment, what if Josh came here for such a time as this? And, and, and God configured the whole enchilada around something that he has been reserving for this city since before uh, the foundations of the earth were laid. It's time to be encouraged, y'all. 
and, and understand that, that God wants to do something special in your life and in the life of this church. So I want to preach a message, uh, and then I want to pray for some people if we get to that. Depends on how anointed I get this morning. Um, but I want to preach a message entitled, The Power of Agreement. Now, uh, I don't, I'm not just talking about agreement in prayer, but I am talking about that uh, primarily. But how many of you know that human beings were made by God to come into agreement with something? You were made by God to come into agreement with something. In fact, whatever is in your life now is the fruit of what you came into agreement with yesterday or the day before or the season before. So human beings, there is no vacuum in your agreement faculty of your humanity. You're agreeing with something that your parents said over you or something God has said over you. You're coming into agreement with what the future holds for you in the spirit or what the past is telling you is going to be your destination and you're going to have a replication of the way you were raised or you're going to change the trajectory of that. What are you coming into agreement with? And whatever you're coming into agreement with is what is in your life. Why? Because God made you to come in to come into agreement. That's why we got to be careful of our associations. We got to watch out what we watch on TV. I had some preacher tell me uh, this past week, which was weird to me. He said, uh, which I, it kind of convicted me a little bit. He says, I don't come into anything. I don't come into agreement with anything that is a violation of the Ten Commandments. He goes, I don't watch murder on TV. I said, oh, man, you know how many good movies you're missing? <laughs> he goes, I don't come into agreement with revenge. He goes, I don't come into agreement with adultery. I don't come into agreement with thieving, with, you know, robbing and thieving and stealing and coveting. I said, so actually you have absolutely no entertainment in your life. Then you just, he says, I can't come into agreement with it because I'm violating God's law by coming to an agreement and it's going to come into my life. I was like, holy cow. Like that's a, that's a pretty thick revelation. But so whatever you're coming into agreement with right now is showing up in your life. And so let me uh, say a couple things. There are, there are a lot of needs represented here this morning. People here are wondering what their future holds. We're coming through. I don't know where we're at in the, in the progress of breaking through, uh, you know, 24 months of, of uh, the weirdest time in the history of our nation, uh, the, the pandemic, the racial tension, the economic struggle, the financial issues, the political landscape, and all that's going on uh, is this complete uh, assault on our agreement. Have you ever noticed that, that even in God's church, we have people that have disagreements about political and racial and economic narratives? Somebody say amen in this church. So uh, how many of you know that this is what the devil is after? The devil is after your love. The Bible says because lawlessness increases, is in Matthew 24, because uh, I think it's verse 17, because lawlessness increases, most people's love will grow cold. 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives, a, gives a, a list of behaviors. In the last days, know this, difficult times will come, not because of difficult times, but because of difficult people. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, prideful, arrogant. He's not talking about bad times. He's talking about bad people. And so our difficulty many times is the result of us coming to, into agreement with people who do not have biblical narratives going on in their minds or in their internal conversations. And so we got so many people preaching bad news and not enough people preaching the good news. If you don't spend as much time in your Bible as you do in front of the television, you're going to have some trouble in this season. And the reality of our nation is that, that the devil wants our love because our love is what marks us as God's people and it is the impetus that drives the gospel. 
And the devil knows that if he can hinder the preaching of the gospel, he can lengthen his time of doing his damage in people's lives. Because the devil comes, the rapture occurs when the last person hears the gospel. And if we stop loving and we're caring more about mandates and narratives that have nothing to do with our calling, they're a total distraction that are causing divisions among us when we're called to proclaim the unified declaration of the goodness of God. Rather than proclaiming this or that or, or um, aligning ourselves with, with government mandates or, or uh, secular narratives and narratives of hate and division, when was the last time that we elevated ourselves to a place of saying, if it's not being talked about in heaven, I ain't talking about it. Come on, somebody. It's okay. Oh. See, God... Sorry, oh, actually bent over okay right there. I didn't hurt myself. God works his will and pours out his blessing in an environment or an atmosphere of unity and agreement. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 says this about what you need or greater than that, what you have. It says, no man has any reason to boast in himself as if he has gained anything that is not already belonging to him. All things that you wish to gain already belong to you because you belong to Jesus and Jesus belongs to God. Listen, Christianity isn't about acquiring what you need. It's about unpacking what you have. When, when Jesus died and resurrected and you received him as Lord of your life, a God deposit went on the inside of you that possesses everything that you need in your life. We got to stop waiting for God to do something else. He already did everything that is necessary for you to live the blessed life, the restored life, the abundant life. Amen. Instead of looking out there, why don't you unpack what God has already put in here? You already have everything you need. Your answers are not out there. Your answers are in here. Otherwise, is Jesus needing to come back? And do it again and do it again or do it again? Or did he die once and for all? And he came to deposit the good things of God in your life, eternity in your life. You gotta come into agreement and alignment with what God has already done for you and stop asking him to do more, unpack what he's already done. Ah. <sighs> We, we sell ourselves short when we start believing that we are lacking something. What do you think you are complete in Christ means? Like last time I checked, complete means complete. Jesus didn't hang on the cross and go, it's 99% finished and died. He said, it's finished. If it's not 100% finished, then it's 100% unfinished. You and I trying to add to what Jesus has done weakens the cross. Your righteousness is, is complete. Okay, let me, let me keep going. I'm all over the place. So God works his will. He pours out his blessing in this environment of, of agreement and unity. That's one reason why we worship. It's a corporate expression of a unified people with one voice in agreement that Jesus is Lord, that he's worthy of praise, he's all-powerful, he has all the ability, we give him the honor, he's the Lord of all. Worship sets the atmosphere and the thermostat of the atmosphere in, a, in such a way that God can do what he wants to do in your life. He can release his work and his will and his promise, and then we can experience his power. Uh, Psalm 133, very famous verses in, uh, in Psalm 133, verses one through three, it says, how good and how pleasant it is when, when God's people dwell together in unity. Everybody say unity. unity. Now, it, it's dwelling together in unity. We have to come into unity 
in, and the tuning fork is the lordship of Jesus. We're not, if we're, listen, four out of five dentists can't even agree on what toothpaste is best. You ever see those commercials? Four out of five dentists agree that Crest is the best. What's the one guy? Who's the one guy? Come here, well, you gotta be difficult. Everybody thinks Crest is the best. You gotta, no, no, it's Aquafresh. Like, who are you? You're not gonna come into agreement with things that are carnal narratives. Nobody's gonna come into agreement with what we should do about masks, what we, what we should do about gas prices, what we should do about uh, uh, economic, what we should do about the border, what we should do about this, what we should do about that. You're not gonna come into agreement on that stuff. You have to go into a higher narrative to achieve agreement. We got to, how good and how pleasant it is when Democrats can dwell together with Republicans. Why? Because when we get to heaven, there aren't going to be Democrats and Republicans. You might be in your mansion living next door to Obama. I can't get no help. Obama, yeah, maybe he'll be in heaven. Living next, maybe you'll be his butler for eternity. How would that be for you? Like, like, uh, why did it get quiet in here? Stop it. Stop it. I could talk about the devil. Everyone's like, ah! I say Obama. He's like, stop. My point is, when we get to heaven, there's going to be black people worshiping with white people, worshiping with brown people. Josh will probably be interpreting, you know, with Asian people, with poor people, with rich people, with all, everyone is going to be at the throne worshiping the king. Listen, you better get used to worshiping with people who don't look like you, don't make the money you make, don't walk like you walk, don't talk like you talk, don't believe like you believe, but because there's a higher narrative, how good and how pleasant it is when earth looks like heaven, which is unity. Yes. Amen, somebody? Jesus said in the last days, nation's going to rise up against nation. What, what does that mean? That means ethnic group is going to rise up against ethnic group. That word nation means eth is an ethnos. It means racism is going to get turned way up right before Jesus comes. Be encouraged. I think Jesus is saddled up waiting for the bell to ring so he can come and get his church. Amen. And then we get the heck out of here. But I don't want to be, I don't want to be in disunity because we have political differences. We might have political differences, but if you believe Jesus is Lord and I believe Jesus is Lord, let's agree with that narrative and stop talking about the stuff that doesn't matter. Listen, nobody's running through heaven going, oh my God, did you see what happened in the election? What are we gonna do? Jesus isn't running through the halls of heaven freaking out. Nothing is taking him by surprise. His will is in perfect synchronization with the will of the Father. And doggone it, there is so much prayer going on in America right now that God can't help but to heal and restore this land and send us a revival. And when do we expect a revival the most? When we need one the most. And I don't know, I'm, I'm about to be 65 years old. Ow. And I've never seen America need a revival more. And I'm glad I'm still around to see it. I hope it happens fast. I was at Starbucks the other day, and the little girl behind the uh, counter there says, how old are you? I said, I'm, I'm 64. She said, huh. She said, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah. She said, what's the difference between 24 and 64? I'm like, oh, let me think for a half a second. Pain. <laughs> Pain's the difference. She goes, well, what do you mean? I said, you can wake up and your leg hurts because you dreamed you were running. <laughs> like, what did I do when I was asleep? Ow, I wake up and hurt, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. You sneeze and separate a rib. This is what happens. You're laughing because it happens to you. You put your boot on and you can't straighten up until noon at lunch. Okay, I'm almost erect now. Okay, things are... Like, when you... 
when we start getting older, things start happening in our life. But I've been on this planet long enough to understand that God still has one more revival reserved for America before it's all said and done. Amen. And you are in the kingdom for such a time as this. I'm not going to be surprised if you guys got to do seven services on Sunday and God explodes this place and the presence of God falls and this worship just explodes all over the city. And whether they go to this church or not, they're going to have to deal with you. Come on, somebody. Let's believe it. How good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil. Everybody say oil. Now, oil in the Old Testament many times is a type of the Holy Spirit. So it's like when you get into unity, the Holy Spirit comes down. What time do I have to stop? Noon? What time? It's 1030. 1045, okay, I got 15 minutes, and I haven't even started preaching yet. Okay, so, so listen. <laughs> so the reality is that the Holy Spirit is the accomplishing agent of the Trinity. It's not by might, it's not by power. The Father's on his throne, Jesus is sitting next to him praying, and the Holy Spirit is what does things. The Holy Spirit is what carries God's promises to you, right? So, so, how do we get the Holy Spirit, which is the, the carrier of God's promises and the empowerment of God's, what God has declared over your life, how do we get that loosed in our midst? Unity. How good and how pleasant it is for God's people to come together in unity because guess what? The Holy Spirit fulfills, accomplishes, and serves up God's promises, God's power, God's presence, God's purpose in your life. God will not entrust his purpose to an ununified people. So let's just agree with what we can agree with, right? Okay, next thing I wanna say. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Josh, Pastor Josh, I can't believe this is in the Bible. This is not a typo. This is not a mistake. God would not put this in here to frustrate us and because it's unattainable and unaccomplishable. Look at what the Bible says. It says, I exhort you, brothers or people of God, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody say, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important? Why is he urging us in the name of the Lord Jesus? Why, why isn't he just urging us? Like, he's the apostle Paul. Just urge me. You don't have to, like, throw the Trump card in there. Or the Jesus card. I didn't mean to say Trump. <laughs> Or maybe I did, I don't know. So, so, so why, did, why did the Apostle Paul have to say in the name of Jesus right before he's about to say what he's about to say? He says, I urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus that you all agree. What? That scripture did not get ripped out of the Bible in the last four, two years. That you all agree, hold on, that there be no divisions among you. Wait a minute. I'm telling you, if the devil can get our unity, he can get our power. This is why Paul said, listen, you cannot do this outside of the name and the lordship of Jesus. Listen to this, that you be made complete, being in the same mind and the same judgment. Obviously, sis, he's not talking about political things, economic things, racial things, right? Because how the heck are we all going to agree, bruh? How are we going to have the same mind? I'm going to think about stuff the same way you think about stuff. Like you think about menudo way different than I think about menudo. You use it for hangovers. I use it for do-overs. I don't know. So we, we have, but, but, but we can agree on Jesus, right? There's different things that we don't agree on, but that's not what he's talking about. 
And that word division, let there be no divisions among you, that means simply don't be a door into your environment where the devil can come in. When he says, don't let there be any divisions among you, that means you stand at the door and keep the devil out, keep division out, keep different narratives that bring about conflict and and disconnection. You keep them out. You're standing at the door, guarding the door for division instead of standing at the door and being the door of division. Where we bring our division into the place of unity where your purpose and power are found. And how many of you know that your purpose will redeem your pain? See, you don't have to heal people's pain. You just have to give people God's purpose. And God's purpose will automatically heal their pain and then they'll be pain-free and they won't even know how they hit their sweet spot because God healed them before they even knew what was happening. But, that, but if we stop the purpose by being the door of division then people will come in hurting and stay hurting. Why are so many people hurt in church when this is to be the house of hope and healing? The reason why people get hurt is because they won't, folks won't get into a narrative of the lordship of Jesus and the goodness of God. Listen, listen, God is good how often? That means he's good when you're not good. That means your bad can't mess up his good. That means God is going to still make good choices about you even though you've done bad things. Because your bad ain't stronger than his good. Because he's good all the time. So he can't even choose bad because he's good all the time. So God can't even make a bad decision about you because he's only good. David said, I would have despaired if I didn't believe I would see the goodness of God while I was still alive. I don't have to wait till I die to see the goodness of God. I would have despaired unless I aligned myself with God's character. Listen, you can't all agree unless we align ourselves with the reality that God's good. Well, these are bad times. I know, but God's good. There's some funky, flunky people out there. I know, but God is good. People are doing all kinds of weird things. I know, I know, but God is not moving himself off of his throne because bad times have hit God's people. God is good. It's a setup for you to blow up. This is not, a a setback isn't a place for you to take a step back. It's ready, it's you to get ready for your comeback. When you have a setback, don't take a step back. Get ready for your comeback, man. Come on, somebody. Why? Because God is good. God's not punishing you. Listen, how many of y'all got kids? I'm sorry. (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? We watched our grandkids for like seven days the other day. I literally almost hung myself. Literally. (laughs) I'm like, you're on your own. I'm just going to go to heaven. It can't be. I can't do this anymore. Grandkids, they're everywhere. And they're acutely aware of their needs. And they have an unfiltered expression of letting you know what those needs are constantly. I'm hungry. I don't like ketchup. You don't have mustard. I don't like this kind of mustard. Listen, I'm going to shove this turkey sandwich down your throat. And you're going to like it, or you could starve. But I'm going to go to my room and lock myself in there and do a primal scream because I don't know what. So how many of you have, have had your kids do something wrong? Oh, Michigan parents, not my kids. No, how many of, you, how many of your kids have done something wrong? Raise your hand. Let me see. I could tell by looking at you, you're just too weak to raise your hand. It's okay. Don't worry about it. So you punish them, right? Do you wake them up after you punish them at three o'clock in the morning and spank them again? They go, you know, I just didn't beat you hard enough the first time. (laughs) You know what you really did, you know, when you stole your sister's cookie when she was saving it from the birthday party and you ate it and you had frosting on your mouth, and you denied it, you know, and I spanked you for that. You know what? I'm going to wake up at 3 o'clock and spank you again because that was just egregious. No. 
So did God punish Jesus for your sin or not? So has your sin already been punished? Then why is he punishing you? You aren't even God, and you wouldn't wake your kid up and punish him twice for the same thing. So we need to align ourselves with what Jesus has done in his obedience, not what we've done in our obedience. If my right standing with God is based on my obedience with God, it's over. My Bible says bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, not the obedience of Steve. You can fix this if you don't believe me. We put way too much priority on our performance and way too little uh, priority on Jesus' performance. The Bible says you're dead and your life is hidden with God and Christ. Wait a minute. If you're dead, dead people don't sin. And so when God looks at you guys, he doesn't see you because you're hidden in Christ. So when he sees you, girlfriend... He sees Jesus. He doesn't see you. He sees what Jesus has done, not what you've done. And then he makes a decision on what he sees, not what you've done. Right? Okay. Let me finish. Let me finish this. Josh is like, well, let's welcome Steve. He's a visitor for the last time. Uh, <laughs> See, there's two forces at work. One, the force of intercession, where Jesus in Revelation 12.10 says that he ever lives to make intercession for us. And then there's the voice of the accuser, Hebrew 7.25, where he accuses the brethren before God day and night. So here's the thing. You can align up with what Jesus is praying and saying, or you can line up with what the devil is praying and saying. Praying, P-R-E-Y. He's praying on. So listen, there's two forces at work in the church. Accusation or intercession. Are we accusing one another or are we praying for one another? We have a saying in my church, pray it and don't say it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about somebody's sin. I want to hear that you're praying for them. That's what I want to hear. I don't want reports on people's inaccurate living, living in, biblically inaccurate. Welcome to breathe in air. But living biblically accurate means you pray for people who have gone astray. You don't talk about them. Otherwise, we're aligning ourselves with the accuser. And everybody say this, the accuser is the loser. Every time, every time, every time you accuse somebody, I can't believe you did that, da, 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 da. it's coming up, you're going to lose. Instead of saying, I really can't believe that, but I'm going to pray it and not say it. I'm not calling pastor and giving him a report on somebody's moral compass. He needs to be seeking God for words from God. Okay, I got to hurry because I only have six minutes left. Okay, so Matthew 18, 19, and then we're going to pray for you guys uh, at the end of the service. Jesus said this, wherever two of you horizontally agree on earth, everybody say agree on earth. Now this is big. He says you agree on earth. Well, what are you agreeing on earth about? Well, you're agreeing with heaven on earth. You're coming into agreement with heaven on earth. He says, wherever you agree on earth concerning anything, it will be done for them by my Father who's in heaven. In other words, when heaven and earth agree, then you get heaven on earth. When heaven and earth agree, when you agree on earth with what is being said and done and accomplished and the disposition of heaven, that's why Jesus said, uh, when you pray, pray that it's on earth as it is in heaven because heaven on earth is, is attainable if you'll come into agreement about it. So listen, on earth as it is in heaven is agreement on earth because heaven is the ultimate 
expression of agreement. Listen, when you are, if you're married and you know, well, let me just say it like this. It's hell on earth when you're disagreeing. When you come into the house and you ain't even in the same room as her and you could just feel that you're in trouble. You just feel it. She's in the back room sharpening up her Freddy Krueger glove, ready to come out. <laughs> like, what I do? I don't care. I hate you. That's hell on earth. We don't agree. We don't agree. We don't agree about the kids. We don't agree about the finance. We don't agree. We don't agree about with our purpose in life. We don't agree. So what happens? It's hell on earth. Heaven on earth is the place of agreement on earth. Because it'll be done for you by my Father who's in heaven. The DNA of heaven comes to earth and operates in agreement. See, the reason why Satan had to get thrown out of heaven is because he was the original spirit of disagreement. Disagreement cannot exist and operate in heaven. Why? Because heaven is the place of agreement. Jesus came to earth to get us back into agreement with heaven. That's why he said, I exhort you in the name of Jesus. John 15, 16, you didn't pick me, I picked you. What? Jesus said, you didn't choose me. Well, I thought I accepted the Lord. I thought I accepted you. No, you accepted that I accepted you. You think you came up with this? I think I'll just receive the Lord. What? No, the Lord received you. You're just aligning with what he already did. You didn't choose me, Jesus said. I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain in anything you ask the Father in my name. It'll be done for you. Heaven kisses earth when we come into agreement. Ask anything. In my name, it'll be done for you by my Father. Heaven touches earth when earth will get itself together horizontally. So, where's that piano player, kid? Where is he? Get up here. <laughs> and play some, let's see what you would even know to play. You probably wouldn't understand Marvin Gaye or the temptations <laughs> just play something follow your heart just be in unity with me we're going to be praying here for a second can we agree that if we agree it sets the conditions for God to do something magnificent in your life and are we all in agreement that he's Lord? Are we all in agreement that, his heavenly, that Jesus' heavenly father is your father? Are we in agreement that it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom? That he knows what you need before you ask him, but the power is in the ask. So I want you to close your eyes, open your hearts. And I want you to get your number one prayer request in the crosshairs of your prayers. You've been fasting, you've been praying, you've been waiting for this moment. You need a breakthrough in your business. You need your prodigal to come home. You need the dream to get put back together. You still have a dream, but it's broken. You have to finally forgive and unchain yourself from what happened back there so God can do things with what needs to happen up in front of your life. Your future's in front of you, not behind you. That you're finally going to get free, that you need healing in your body, and this is the moment where the power of God's healing hits your physical body in Jesus' name. Where people that need Jesus, that have said no to your invitations, as long as you've known them, will all of a sudden start saying yes and come with you to church? In the name of Jesus, 
Do we agree that he can do it? Do we agree that his promises are more powerful than your problems or the prognosis or the predicament that you're in? Can you, can you believe that he loves you more than the world hates you? That you're living your life from his hand and God's accelerating the timeline in your life this morning. So Father, I come into agreement with every prayer that is being lifted up to you right here and right now. And Jesus, you said wherever two would come into agreement as touching anything, it would be done for them by your Father who's in heaven. So right here, right now, in this moment, Father, meet every need that's represented in every life, in every heart, in every home, in every head. Lord, let the dreams come true. Let the finances break through. Let the healing take place. Let the prodigals come home. Close deals. Close escrows. Sign contracts. Renewed love in marriages. Reconnection with our kids. Fresh hearts to serve in the house of God. A fresh commitment to see the success of this Holland house become a lighthouse to this city. In the name of Jesus, Lord, pour out your promise on this people. And we call it done, miracles in motion. <sighs> Josh, look at me. I, I keep hearing this. Start believing for mir the miracle of millions because your resources will determine your reach. And there's enough reach inside of you too. The only thing lacking is the resource, not the reach. And I just heard the Holy Spirit say, tell them to start believing me for the miracle of millions in this ministry, in this ministry. Because all that stuff that's in your heart to reach the city, to reach nations, to reach people, to train up, to, to develop, the only thing that's missing is the resource, not the vision. I'm believing with you for the miracle of millions in Jesus' name. You guys, I am out of time, and I, don't, I want to get invited back, even though I invited myself this time. Anyway, I love you. Hey, go strong, dog. If I don't see you again, I'll see you in heaven. And you guys support this man and this woman in this ministry. Let's believe big things. Let's be an encouragement. Let's be a strength to this house. You guys keep on going even when it ain't snowing. Amen. I love you. Peace. God bless you. I'm done. <laughs>